Orange Curtain, a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Welcome again to another episode of Behind the Orange Curtain. Behind the Orange Curtain explores music that came from Orange County, California to influence the rest of the world, and music that made it to Orange County, California from around the world to influence those of us who lived here during the 1980s. Tonight's episode, we'll be exploring the wonderful world of Echo and the Bunnymen, specifically singles from 1979 to 1987, right before their breakup. So let's get the show started. Ian Stephen McCulloch was born May 5th, 1959. An English singer-songwriter and musician best known as the frontman of the rock group Echo and the Bunnymen. McCulloch was brought up in North Green area of Liverpool. The road on which he originally lived, Partheon Drive, is the title of a song contained in the 2005 Echo and the Bunnymen album, Siberia. Ian, or Mac, McCulloch, had a standard Liverpoolian working-class upbringing. He was the middle child of Robert McCulloch, a machine shop steward, and his wife Evelyn. Mac had an older half-brother, Stephen, and his sister, Julie, who came along in 1961. Mac's childhood wasn't particularly difficult. It was slightly weird. He was always a very shy and sensitive boy, and in his first half-decade, easily prone to tears. Mac still falls victim to what he calls the old waterworks fairly frequently. Although he made friends easily enough, he wasn't overtly social. Instead, he was content to play the loner and live within the realms of his imagination. He would spend an entire evening sitting in a chair by the sitting room windows gazing dreamily at the elm trees across the road and singing quietly to himself. Even at a young age, Mac felt a little set apart somehow different from his peers. From his early childhood on through his adolescence, he was, by his own admission, a little tense, nervous, and spacey. It would be David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust that would change his life forever. In an excerpt from an interview in 1983, Ian said, Seeing Bowie singing Starman changed my life completely. I never really liked music up until then, except for that song, The Wonder of You by Elvis Presley. But now music became an obsession. I used to stare at pictures of Bowie and wonder how anyone could look so good. I used to listen to Ziggy Stardust, the LP, every night. Five years back was my favorite track and I also liked Lady Stardust. I never wanted to share it with anyone. I wanted to be the only Bowie fan in the world. When I was 13, I tried to be him in spirit. In a 1984 article, he says, I loved the ethereal lifestyle thing. It wasn't even glam. It was something I couldn't grasp at that age. When I used to see pictures of Bowie on TV, I thought, where's he from? He definitely can't be from Beckenham. I used to think Bowie had so much charisma and mystique at the time in 1972, and he did to a 13-year-old me. It was the high point in that way of my life. 
I've never felt that way ever again. Every day I'd shiver. He took me somewhere that I'll never go again. I miss all that. I miss being overawed a lot. But you know, that's life, part of growing up. Ian McCulloch began his career in 1977 as one-third of a band called The Crucial Three, a bedroom band which also featured Julian Cope and Pete Wiley. When Wiley left, McCulloch and Cope formed a short-lived, a shallow madness with drummer Dave Pickett and organist Paul Simpson, during which time the songs were Read It in Books, Robert Mitchum, You Think It's Love, and Space Hopper. They were written by the pair. Later, Cope would sack McCulloch from the band. A Shallow Madness changed their name to The Teardrop Explodes. McCulloch joined forces with guitarist Will Sargent and his longtime school friend, a bass player, Les Pattinson, to form Echo and the Bunnymen. In its early carnation of the band, it featured a drum machine. They later acquired Pete DeFritis from Trinidad on drums who boosted the power of their sound. Let's talk about William Alfred Sargent, born April 12, 1958, in Liverpool. He grew up in a village of Melling and attended nearby Days Lane Secondary Modern. He is the group's only consistent member since its inception. In an interview, he was asked, what's it like in Liverpool when you were growing up? He said, it was kind of scary. There were a lot of skinheads and stuff like that going on. It was always seen as a trouble-causing kind of place. The factories were always on strike. They were always militant, that sort of thing. It did have a tough image, but underneath, it's not that tough. It's friendly. It's come a long way in the last few years, that's for sure. The next question was, how did you avoid becoming a skinhead yourself? He says, I had friends who were more on the hippie side of the world, even though I was probably a bit late for hippiness. We were into heavier stuff. The skinheads were generally into ska music, which I liked, but I liked people like Roxy Music and David Bowie more. The last question of the article says, how did you make the leap from being a fan to actually playing music? He responds, I had a guitar when I was about 13. I didn't even know how to tune it. I used to make noises on it and roll things up and down the strings to use it almost like an experimental sound machine. So I sold that, and then later on I started going to Eric's, the club in Liverpool. Everybody was starting bands. It didn't matter that you couldn't play well. It gave us an impetus to do it. So there was no big plan behind it, actually. I was really into Roxy Music and Brian Eno, Kraftwerk, Tangerine Dream, and those sorts of experimental bands. I bought a drum machine. Nobody had a drum machine back then. There was only one band that I knew that had guitars and a drum machine, and it was a French band called Metal Urbane. They were a kind of punk with a drum machine. They were pretty good. Going to Eric's got me into guitar. The Pistols, Television, Suicide, Iggy Pop, The Slits, The Police, they all played there. It was a small, shitty-in-the-basement kind of vibe. It's all very weird, because that street, Matthew Street, has always been a part of what's going on in Liverpool. Now it's just horrible down there. All the dickheads got a hold of it and made it touristy. In the 1982 book, Liverpool Explodes, Will Sargent explained the origin of the band's name. We had this mate who kept suggesting names like The Dawes Men or Glycerol or The Fan Extractors. 
Echo and the Bunnymen was one of them. I thought, why not? It's just as stupid as the rest. Echo and the Bunnymen's attitude, which their overseers have found both enchanting and infuriating, is that failure and success are not what matters. It's dignity that counts. Your panache. They were always like that. Their 1980 debut album, Crocodiles, went to the top 20 of the UK albums chart. After releasing their second album, Heaven Up There, in 1981, the band's cult status was followed by mainstream success in the UK in 1983. When they scored a UK top 10 hit with The Cutter, the album which the song it also came from, Porcupine, hit number two in the UK. Ocean Rain in 1984 continued the band's UK success with their lead single, The Killing Moon. Entering the top 10, they would release their final self-titled 80s album in 1987. DeFridis died in 1988 in a motorcycle accident. McCulloch would then leave the band in 1988 to start a solo career. The band recorded one album, Reverberation, with a different singer, Noel Burke from Belfast. The band broke up in 1990 when Reverberation failed to gain success. In 1994, McCulloch and Sargent regrouped to form Electra Fixation. In 1996, Les Pattinson joined them and the Bunnymen were officially reformed. Electra Fixation released one album, Burned. Pattinson would leave the reunited Bunnymen again after recording one more album. It would be in 1997, Pattinson would rejoin the duo again. They would officially go back to Echo and the Bunnymen in their name, and they would release the album Evergreen in 1997, which reached the UK Top 10. Immediately prior to the release of the band's next album, What Are You Doing With Your Life in 1999, Les Pattinson quit to take care of his mother. McCulloch and Sargent have continued to tour and record as Echo and the Bunnymen, touring repeatedly and releasing the albums Flowers in 2001, Siberia in 2005, Fountain in 2009, and Meteorites in 2014. But let's get started with our first song. Pictures on My Wall is the first single released by the band Echo and the Bunnymen. It was released in May of 1979 in a limited issue of 4,000 copies. The single reached number 24 on the UK indie chart, having been released prior to Pete DeFridis joining the band. The single was then re-recorded after he had joined and appeared as Pictures on My Wall on the 1980 album Crocodiles. Changing on the merry-go-round tonight The pictures on my
Rescue would be their second single released. It was released on May 5th, 1980, and subsequently included on the Crocodiles album as well. It was the band's first single to chart, reaching number 62 on the UK singles chart. It was also their first release on the newly formed Korova label. On the single's release, Smash Hits described it as an attractive left-field pop that had sparse guitaring reminiscent of early Cure and plenty of deadpan melodic bite. The song was covered by the Scottish rock group Idlewild on the B-side of their 2000 single These Wooden Ideas and by the American band Rogue Wave more recently in 2016 on their album of 80s covers called Cover Me. Here's Rescue by Echo and the Bunnymen.
The third single by the band was released on September 14th of 1980. It was called The Puppet. The single was released in the wake of the critical acclaim received for the band's first album, Crocodiles, which had been released earlier in the year. The main track itself was not the album, but the B-side. Do It Clean was on the U.S. release of the album and the compact cassette version of the U.K. release. The single failed to make the U.K. singles chart. The single was produced by Bill Drummond and David Balf, although they were credited as the Chameleons. Here's the puppet. for one of my favorite songs from the early years of Echo and the Bunnymen. It was a B-side. The name of the song is Do It Clean. It's become a popular track with both the band and its fans. It is regularly played live and has appeared as the B-side to the Belgian version of their fourth single, A Promise, and to their 1984 hit single, The Killing Moon. It has also appeared on many other bands' compilation albums. 
So let's let the boys from Liverpool show us how to do it clean. heard the b-side now let's hear the a-side of that belgian version a promise it's the fourth single by echo and the bunnymen that was released it stayed on the uk chart for four weeks and peaked at number 49 apart from the australian only release of over the wall later in the year a promise is the only single to have been released from the band's second album heaven up there here it is for you now a promise
Over the Wall is a single by the band that was released in 1981 in Australia, and it's from the 1981 album Heaven Up There. The B-side of the single was not released in any other country, and it was the title track from the band's 1980 debut album Crocodiles. Unlike the band's previous singles, Over the Wall is the only single that was ever released without a picture sleeve.
This single, which was released by the band May 21st of 1982, reached 19 on the UK singles chart. It was subsequently added to the album Porcupine, which was released on February 4th of 1983. The single was produced by Ian Broody under the pseudonym Kingbird. The A-side of the single was recorded at Trident Studios in London, while the B-side was recorded at Square One Studios in Liverpool. The B-side to both the 7-inch and the 12-inch versions of the single is the subject. The 12-inch has an extra track on the B-side, a song called Fuel. The cover of the 7-inch and the 12-inch versions is a painting by Henry Scott Took called The Promise, which was on display at the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool. But more importantly, this was the band and the song from 1982 that Colin Arblaster and I would choose our senior year of high school to perform for Air Guitar in 1987. He would be Ian McCulloch, and I would portray Will Sargent, a song that few knew amongst our high school peers, but Colin and I cared not because the song kicked ass, and we knew that with undying certainty. Here is The Back of Love. Chopping up my stomping thoughts Self-doubt and selfism Were the cheapest things I ever bought And you said to love To win the back of love And you said to love To win the back of love When taking advantage of Breaking the back of love Taking advantage of Breaking the back of 
The next single released by the band on Korova label in the United Kingdom on January 14, 1983, as both a 7-inch and a 12-inch single. The 7-inch was available in a limited edition, which was packaged with a cassette containing tracks from their August 1979 John Peel session, which featured the drum machine that was rumored to be called Echo before they added their drummer. There is speculation that the lyrics could be influenced by the 1962 novel A Clockwork Orange, which Stanley Kubrick turned into a famous film in 1971. In the first scene, a vagrant asks, Can you spare some cutter, me brothers, before being beaten senseless? Cutter is a British slang for spare change. The band's record label, which we mentioned earlier, which was an imprint of Sire, was named Korova, a reference to the Korova Milk Bar in A Clockwork Orange. Like most of their early hits, it was quite popular in England, especially in their home turf of Liverpool, but largely ignored in America when it was released. The song did get some attention in the U.S. in 1984 when it was included on the EP The Sound of Echo. In a Song Facts interview with guitarist Will Sargent, he said, We did a few tours of America. We were just playing clubs, the Paradise and places like that. We'd do these clubs, and we were kind of like another band. It might have been when the movie Erg, A Music War, came out that really put us on another level. We had been playing to a few hundred people, and then we started selling out. The song was ranked at number 14 among the tracks of the year for 1983 by NME. In a retrospective review of The Cutter, all-music journalist Tom McGinnis wrote, Echo and the Bunnymen successfully wed the Eastern-influenced psychedelic sounds made famous by the Beatles. The Eastern strings re-enter at a strategic point, filling the space between verses and Ian McCulloch's esoteric pleas to spare us the cutter. The track never loses steam, cruising through each section with power and grace. Here's the cutter.
On July 8, 1983, this song reached number 15 on the UK singles chart in the same month. The title track on the 12-inch single is a remix version called Never Stop Discotheque and is another minute and 15 seconds longer. Never Stop Discotheque is a great 1983 single by the group that can be viewed as something as their response to the unbridled UK popularity of New Order. The song opts for the unlikely combination cellos and synthesizers to great effect before Will Sargent's whammy bar equipped guitar and singer Ian McCulloch's characteristically soaring vampire vocals enter the fray. Here's the song, Never Stop.
January 20th of 1984, as the lead single from the 1984 album Ocean Rain, it is the band's highest charting hit, reaching number nine in the UK singles chart and often cited as the band's greatest song. Ian McCulloch has said, When I sing this particular song, I know there isn't a band in the world who's got a song anywhere near it. In a retrospective review on the song, all music journalist Stuart Mason wrote, The smart use of strings amplifies the elegance of the tune, bringing both a musical richness and a sense of quiet dignity to the tune. According to the linear notes of Echo and the Bunnymen's Crystal Days box set, Ian McCulloch woke up one morning with the phrase, Fate up against your will. In a 2015 interview, McCulloch said, I love the song, all the more because I didn't pour over it for days on end. One morning, I just sat bolt upright in bed with this line in my head. The full line, fate up against your will, through the thick and thin, he will wait until you give yourself to him. You don't dream things like that and then remember them. That's why I've always half credited the lyric to God. It's never happened to me before or since. The meaning of the song is rather fluid. McCulloch continues, It sounds vaguer than it actually is. I never really tell people the meaning of all the songs because that surely spoils their journey. When they listen to something like Killing Moon, there are so many different ideas of what it's about. To me, it's like to be or not to be. Those type of moments. He added, I've been on the moon that is the Killing Moon. No one else has really been on that moon because I sang it and I wrote it. It's my moon now. Not the one up in the sky, but the killing moon is my moon. I know everything about it. I feel it day to day, and it changes all the time. Every now and again, I go, wow, that was like some kind of scripture for me. This song. I mean, it doesn't mean it's about God, but it's my parable that I had to write for myself first. But it seems lots of people see the killing moon as a special song. The chords of the song were based on David Bowie's Space Oddity, played backwards. The guitar solo had been recorded separately by Sargent whilst tuning up and inserted in the song at the suggestion of the producer David Lord. The strings on the track are a combination of Adam Peters' cello and keyboards played by the producer. The Killing Moon was on the soundtrack of Richard Kelly's surreal 2001 flick, Donnie Darko, and a mysterious presence in a crazy rabbit suit, a mad bunny man. In fact, it was one of the film's key characters. I'd mentioned somewhere that The Killing Moon was about predestiny, says Ian McCulloch, and he wrote the whole fucking film about it, cheeky bastard. He gave us this pittance one-off fee for the use of the song, saying it was just a little indie film, but forgot to mention that Drew Barrymore was behind it, who had more money than Howard Hughes. Great as it is, he should have at least given us credit for the idea. Here is The Killing Moon.
The next single was released on April 13th of 1984. The song is Silver. It was the second single to be released from their 1984 album Ocean Rain. It stayed on the UK singles chart for five weeks, peaking at number 30. It would also reach number 14 on the Irish singles chart. Now, Ian McCulloch was married to Lorraine, his first wife, for over 20 years, until they divorced in 2004. The songs I'll Fly Tonight and Silver are about his happy marriage, whereas the album Siberia contains different songs about their breakup. Lyrics from this song are, The sky is blue, my hands untied, the world that's true through our clean eyes. Just look at you with burning lips, your living proof at my fingertips. McCulloch and Lorraine Fox had two daughters, Candy and Mimi. Candy appears in the video for his solo single, Faith and Healing, when she was a younger girl. The couple separated in 2003. He was later also in a relationship with singer-songwriter Zoe Devlin, formerly of Alabama 3. They had a daughter, Dusty, but now have separated. Let's go back to that song written for his original wife, Lorraine, Silver. Just in case it slips away The sky 
Seven Seas is a single that was released on July 6th in 1984, and it was the third single from Ocean Rain. It reached number 16 on the UK singles chart and number 10 on the Irish singles chart. In a retrospective review on the song, all music journalist Dave Thompson said, regardless of the surreal lyrics, their enigmatic meaning dovetails marvelously with the mood of this exquisite piece. And now, on to the Seven Seas. November 14, 1985, it was the only single from their 1985 compilation album, Songs to Learn and Sing. It was recorded for the John Hughes film Pretty in Pink, 
and it reached number 21 on the UK singles chart and number 15 on the Irish singles chart. In the movie Pretty in Pink, it plays in a scene where Molly Ringwald's character shares some banter with her love interest played by Andrew McCarthy while she's working in a record store. Its placement is very fitting because in America, Echo was a very niche group, known mainly among those eclectic, some would say pretentious tastes, including record store employees. In the 2000 film High Fidelity, Echo is part of some dialogue that takes place in a record store when a customer comes looking for the Killing Moon EP. He tells Jack Black's character, an obnoxious clerk prone to reprimand customers for their tastes in music, that he owns all of the albums by the band. Black then pushes a Jesus and the Mary Chain album Psycho Candy on him, saying, Here, they picked up where your precious Echo left off, and you're sitting around complaining about no more Echo albums. I can't believe you don't own this effing record. In an interview with Song Facts, Ian McCulloch explains the line, Headless and All Alone, that they're statues. It's the way that people would sooner look at statues than themselves. We revere things that tell us about ourselves. It's that thing of how we think art is very important. A life without art. Who knows what that would be like? We think the Mona Lisa is this thing that's valuable when something else isn't. There's three different characters that are named Jimmy Brown, Charlie Clown, and Billy. Ian McCulloch says, it's about, are we statues or are we human? Not like the killers thing, but it's about the heart and soul. Jimmy Brown made of stone. I'm not Jimmy Brown. I'm someone else. I'm the one who's just shivering and saying the words of every lie I've heard. Anton Corbin directed the video, which contains many abstract images. Echo and the Bunnymen released a new version on their 2018 album, The Stars, The Oceans, and The Moon, which you should definitely check out as you'll hear all of your favorite songs rearranged and performed in a light by Echo and the Bunnymen that you've never heard. Here is Bring On the Dancing Horses. I'm gonna make it 
June 1st of 1987, it was the first single from their self-titled album. It reached number 28 on the UK singles chart. The single was also released a 7-inch and 12-inch single. The B-side is Lost and Found, with the 12-inch adding a track, Ship of Fools. The video for this song was shot in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Here is The Game. Cause I'd already played 
next song is about an enticing girl who floats like a swan and has kisses that are sweet like sugar. But she's an elusive bird. Just when you think you've caught her, she glides across the water. Lips Like Sugar was released in August of 1987. It was the second single to be released off their 87 self-titled album. Initially dismissed by Ian McCulloch as too commercial, the song was a chart success, reaching number 36 in the UK 24 in Ireland, 43 in New Zealand. The song did not chart in the U.S. despite how much attention it seemed to gain at the time of its initial release, and now it's often held up as the band's signature song in the United States, despite not charting in the U.S. at all. It's become their most famous song, thanks in part to college radio airplay, and its music video directed by Anton Corbin, which was regularly broadcasted on MTV's 120 Minutes program. The song has since been covered by multiple artists and has been positively received by critics. McCulloch was initially dismissive of the song, saying in the 1992 interview, It was an okay song, I suppose, but it didn't sound like us. We got sucked into the new mentality of the last album of The Sound of Radio America, He softened his attitude towards the song in a 2005 interview, saying, It may have a few synthetic twinkles on it, but the song itself was strong enough to shine through. Will Sargent credited the song as a turning point in the band's success, saying, It just started building. It was building naturally, and then we ended up playing the Greek theater in Hollywood, and places like that. All of a sudden, the crowd started changing. They'd become, like, really young kids. You're thinking... Why? It was just weird. We were walking around the crowd and no one even knew who we were. It all changed. It was just odd. Right around Lips Like Sugar, things really changed. The music video for the song, directed by Anton Corbin, features the band performing the song and ends with the band transporting from the sound studio to a garish set straight out of Star Trek, where the Bunnymen are hunted by a couple of women in lurid spacesuits. The video is filmed in a minimalist, grainy black and white style typical of Corbin's work. A photo gallery accompanied by the audio of Coldplay performing Lips Like Sugar live in Paris is included in their 2002 DVD single, The Scientist. This audio track was also included on the Australian release of their 2003 single, God Put a Smile Upon Your Face. McCulloch notably performed the song with Coldplay in 2003 at the Scottish Tea in the Park Festival. Seal recorded a version of the song featuring the reggae singer Mikey Dredd for the soundtrack of the 2004 film 50 First Dates. 
the Smashing Pumpkins covered Lips Like Sugar on their 2008 Europe and Australian tour. A performance of the song was recorded on Australia's MTV. And finally, yes fans, David Hasselhoff recorded a version of the song featuring A Flock of Seagulls on his 2019 album, Open Your Eyes. Here is Lips Like Sugar. And my Siamese twin 
from that 1987 album was a single called Bedbugs and Ballyhoo. You may find some meaning of the song if you open your mind wide enough, but the lyric is really just a series of images that singer Ian McCulloch for the sake of wordplay. I don't even know how the hell I made up that crap, he said in Song Facts interview. Maybe it's about imperialism in the way or the way that people just cower when there's a bully or someone who's giving you something and you're down on your knees saying, please, yeah, 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 and then no, no, no. The band recorded this because they needed a B-side for their over-your-shoulder single. They found a studio near Manchester and did it in a day. It started with a bass line that Les Pattinson developed. Ian McCulloch came up with the lyrics, rhythm and chords. The entire band is credited with writing the track. McCulloch refers to the song as a kind of gibberish and genius. One of its naysayers was Jake Drake Brockman, who played keyboards with the band. McCulloch told Song Facts, This Jake fella, we were close, but I never trusted his judgment on anything because he had a hyphenated name and it was from, he was from the south of England. He was from some posh village, so I never trusted his taste or what he had to say. He said, That song's rubbish. He ridiculed it, and I said, no, Jake, it's about imperialism. Ray Manzarek of The Doors played keyboards on this version track, and you can definitely tell. Here's Bedbugs and Ballyhoo. Let's weep 
1987, a movie hit cinemas called The Lost Boys, an American teen black comedy horror film whose title is a reference to The Lost Boys and J.M. Barry's stories about Peter Pan and Neverland, who, like the vampires, never grow up. Most of the film was shot in Santa Cruz, California. The Lost Boys was released and produced by Warner Brothers Pictures on July 31, 1987, and was a critical and commercial success, grossing over $32 million against a production budget of $8.5 million. The music soundtrack contains a number of notable songs and several covers, including Good Times, a duet between In Excess and Jimmy Barnes, which reached number two on the Australian charts in early 1987. The cover version of a 1960s Australian hit by the Easy Beats was originally recorded to promote the Australian-made tour that would happen in Australia in early 1987, headlined by In Excess and Barnes. Tim Capello's cover of The Calls, I Still Believe, is featured in the film as well on the soundtrack. Capello makes a small cameo appearance in the film, playing the song at the Santa Cruz Boardwalk, with his saxophone and his bodybuilder muscles on display. The soundtrack also features a cover version of The Doors song, People Are Strange, by Echo and the Bunnymen. And here it is now. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are under when you're down, when you're strange. Strange, no one remembers your name when you're strange.
you enjoyed tonight's show as we focused on Echo and the Bunnymen's singles from 1979 to 1987. And there's no doubt that they had an impact not only in the States, remaining somewhat under the mainstream radar, but flying ever so much higher in Southern California and especially Orange County. And now it's time for Crandall's Crucial Cut. This week's Crucial Cut will lead us into next week's topic. As we're now into the week of All Hallows' Eve, we will focus next week on a band from Los Angeles, California that would change Halloween forever for those of us in the 80s here in Orange County with their annual Halloween shows at Irvine Meadows and Pacific Amphitheater. The featured band we'll look at next week is Oingo Boingo, so join me as we pull back the orange curtain and look at the band led by the lead singer Danny Elfman that would escalate him to movie soundtrack stardom. To close us out this evening is Oingo Boingo performing a cover of the Beatles, I Am the Walrus, released on their final studio album from 1994. And so, until next time, so long and farewell. I am he as you are, he as you are me, and we are all together. See how they run like pigs from a gun, see how they Stupid bloody Tuesday man You've been a naughty boy You let your face go long I'm the Eggman They are the Eggman I'm the walrus Do-do-do-do Mr. City Policeman Sitting pretty little policeman In a row See how they fly like Lucy in the sky See how they run
Behind the Orange Curtain, a look at 80s music from Orange County, California. Music that came from here and music that came to here. Join me, your host, Doug Crandall, every Thursday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Pardon me. Did you do that? Very nice work. Let me ask you something. How do you get him down so small? Hey, there goes Elvis! Yo, King! Well, looks like I'm next. <laughs> Good thing, too. I gotta do a photo shoot for GQ in about an hour and a half. <sighs> Yeah, they've been after me for months. Doing some kind of underwear deal. I don't know what. Whoa, hey, what are you doing? Hey, stop it! Hey, you're messing up here! Come on! Whoa! Whoa! Stop it! Whoa! Hey, this might be a good look for me. Tango, waltz, hardy, rumba, sing.